Welcome to the Life in Science podcast. I'm your host Arjun. Today we are joined by Dr. Alex Radzishovskaya from the Cancer Biology Division of the Institute of Cancer Research in London. Her group investigates histone modifications in the context of cancer. Welcome to the show, Dr. Alex. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Thank you, Arjun. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm very happy to be here. We are excited to have you join us as well. So to start off, there is something I ask all of my guests. How did you get interested in biology, and then what led to your decision to focus on gene regulation and chromatin biology? Because it appears that that it is a theme across your studies and the career. Yeah. So um, my interest in biology. So I grew up in uh, post-Soviet Belarus, and I was never actually exposed to academic science growing up. Uh, but I spent uh, a lot of my time in nature in my grandparents' country house during summers. Uh, they actually took care of this whole farm completely by themselves. And of course, it's a uh, very hard work and um, it involves uh, numerous what I would now call protocols. Uh, and of course, as, uh, as a child, you don't really feel what is affecting your life choices. But now, as I look back on my life I, and try to understand how I actually got interested in science, I think it probably comes from that time when I observed uh, my grandparents uh, making decisions like uh, how to treat crops that are affected by a parasite or uh, one time they were trying to solve this problem of why the chicken all of a sudden are not producing any eggs. So I think it's it's really being exposed to that uh, process of troubleshooting that uh, sparked my interest in, in science and in, in solving puzzles. And I think also from that experience um, is how I got excited about experimenting and doing hands-on work. Uh, and uh, of course, uh, when we talk about interest in chromatin and transcription regulation, that came much later. Um, my, uh, I first got exposed to molecular biology during my high school when I was about 17. And after I had a couple of courses, it was really like, like my fate was sealed. I was really fascinated by all the molecular processes like transcription, translation, signaling pathways, uh, really everything on the molecular level. And I was really um, excited to actually um, link my career to that. Um, I, I should probably say that when you choose a particular topic in science, it's also about um, not just biological interests, but also about methodology involved. Uh, and um, I am interested in transcription regulation, gene expression, how it affects cell fate, but I also like to create genetic models to answer my questions. So I found uh, a field where I can actually combine uh, these two passions. Oh, that's actually a very interesting take on it. I never looked at it in that sense that it's both the interest in the theory, but also like the methods that you can apply to it. That's that's quite fascinating. Now, I find it really interesting that you went for a PhD directly after your bachelor's. Now, did it cross your mind to do a master's and maybe gain that much more experience in the lab or were you just seems so you were confident enough at the end of your bachelor's to take on the challenge of the phd directly um yeah so i i did my phd oh, sorry i did my bachelor's degree it was uh, about 13 years ago in the uk and at that time it was very common uh, for people who are interested in science to actually go to phd straight away and uh, by that time i have uh, done several summer placements and the final year project and I was really excited to do something longer, you know, something uh, where I can actually develop the projects because every time I did this small rotation, I felt like now finally uh, I got something and I have to leave. 
Um, so yeah, I was very excited to actually go uh, straight to the PhD. I never considered a master's degree. Oh, that's I, I think a lot of my friends and probably even I can relate to that now at this stage because I, I guess rotations and probably even the thesis just leaves you hanging ever so slightly at the end of it. Yeah. But yeah. you say you were in the UK and eventually you were also in the EU, so Denmark, and then you went to the US. So that's three very important scientific places to be in. And what did you like about the environment in each of these places? And as a follow-up to that, do you think there are some traits or char characteristics that are important to adapt in one place over the other? Of course, there is hard work and curiosity that's paramount, but something just about, say, being able to live in one place than, say, some, some, some other place, for example. Yeah, so, you know, I think uh, a great uh, thing about science is uh, how international it is. So even though I worked in all these uh, countries, I cannot really say that the scientific environment really differs a lot um, because you always work with people from different nationalities who are also moving around like you. Uh, the, the working language is English, of course. So the, I think the biggest difference for me uh, was always more on how it affects my personal life in a new country rather than professional. But uh, I should probably say here that my experience uh, can be different from other people's because I worked in the institutions in, in large cities with a very high proportion of international scientists. So I think that also contributes a lot to the fact that the environment was uh, extremely high quality and uh, quite similar, I would say, between different places. Um, yeah, and the second part of your question about the traits that um, can help you adjust. Yeah, as I, as I said, that it's more on a, on a personal level, right? So as a scientist, I think you need to be prepared to move around. Uh, and um, some people find it very exciting. Uh, for me, I can't say I really enjoy the process of moving, you know, when you have to find a new place to live again and get your apartment furnished, open a bank account and, you know, going through the stage where when you're always missing something in your apartment. So I, I can't say I really enjoy that. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, this is not uh, really something that would stop me from advancing my career. So if I see an opportunity, I just take it, despite the fact that I will have to um, reestablish my life mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm. I see. No, the motivation sort of also for asking that is that I was in Heidelberg and now in London. I think the biggest difference for me has been traveling to work and back. That is something that was practically non-existent yeah. back in Heidelberg, where it's a small town, it's not a problem. But in London, it is something that I had to get used to and it took a while. Uh, now, coming to the thought process behind selecting a lab and also institutions, say for your bachelor's, PhD and postdoc, do you have any advice for students drawing from your experience on what you should consider before you decide on an institution, maybe or specifically a lab per se? Yeah, so uh, I think it is difficult to advise about choosing a bachelor's degree because uh, most of the time this depends on where you are from and has a financial component to it. So in other words, uh, opportunities uh, are very different for different people. In my case, for example, going to Edinburgh was my only opportunity to get a bachelor's degree abroad that would be fully sponsored. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure I can advise on, on the bachelor's degree, but um, actually choosing labs for my PhD and postdoc um, is quite an interesting story because uh, in both cases, uh, I made a short list of labs 
apps that I was excited about based on the mostly on the publication record. And then I decided to ask advice on those labs from a senior person in the institute uh, I was uh, studying at the time. Uh, and uh, in both cases, uh, from both for my PhD and my postdoc choice, uh, this happened, of course, in two different institutes with two different uh, senior people. And uh, finally enough, I came out of those meetings with a completely different list of labs than I had before I uh, came into the meeting. Uh, and those were really not lists anymore, but just a handful of, of uh, group leader names. And uh, looking back at this, I, I'm really extremely happy that uh, in both cases, I followed the advice and applied to the recommended labs to me. And um, I should probably also admit that in both cases, uh, it was quite scary for me to reach out to like a senior person. In one case, it was a director of the institute. But then uh, getting this advice was so precious that I would still strongly recommend uh, students to actually try to find somebody uh, with whom you can discuss these things. And um, another, I think, important point to make, which is sort of kind of related to my story as well, is that uh, now I always tell people who ask me for advice, especially those applying for a PhD positions, that they should base their decision on the lab rather than on a specific project, because projects, they change. And especially if you're applying for a PhD in December, then you will start it only almost in a year. Uh, and science moves really fast. So while um, if you choose the wrong lab environment uh, that doesn't fit you personally, then it can be quite miserable for you. So yeah, I would really mm -hmm. recommend choosing based your decision on, of course, it's your interests mm -hmm. which should come first, but then also really think about the lab you want to be in. Okay. So, but Going back, if I understand correctly, you applied for specific labs rather than graduate programs. Am I correct? And any yes. motivation for yes. one over the other? Uh, I think uh, in my case, I didn't apply for programs because I didn't want to do rotations. I mm -hmm. wanted to actually start a longer project right away. So I didn't want to do three more or four more rotations uh, again. Uh, so yeah, I wanted to okay. pick something that Makes I can start. start at. Yeah. While you have stuck to the field of chromatin biology, your PhD work involved studying transcription factors in the context of embryonic development, while your postdoc involved histone modifications. What led to the selection of these projects? Um, so I think for me throughout my career, it was always about this idea of uh, sulfate change that fascinated me. And it all started uh, when during my undergraduate degree, I had a, a task of writing an essay on uh, pluripotency, uh, the potential of uh, one embryonic cell to give rise to all the cell types of an organism. And after I researched the topic uh, and what was known about the molecular regulation of this state, I then decided that I really want to study that for my PhD. Uh, and then during PhD, while I was studying that, I gained more and more passion for mechanistic biology. So to try to actually go even deeper in understanding how cell identities changed and uh, how the organization of the genome and how um, the chromatin structure actually affects uh, these processes. So another um, thing for my postdoc that was important to me, I wanted to also go beyond uh, studying uh, gene regulation in normal development and also try to understand uh, cell fate and cell identity change during the cancer development. And uh, now in my own lab, actually, my aim is to combine the two, so to uncover the mechanisms in normal development and then take this knowledge and interpret what goes wrong during uh, cancer. 
So then at what point did you realize that you want to be a group leader and when did you realize that you wanted to run a lab and did it build up gradually or like say this essay that you mentioned about did you just have a moment and you're like ah okay this is something that I want to do um i think um honestly i wanted this from the very beginning when i just did the first lab placement but of course uh, wanting this early doesn't really mean that i thought i will be good at it or i would succeed in it it was uh, really more of a dream you know in the beginning than an aim and then i think it was a gradual process where i slowly built up confidence and then it became an aim rather than a dream um and when i realized it was time i think uh it was when at some point you know you get more ideas for projects uh, than what you can physically do yourself and i think that's also the point where you start thinking about uh having uh people to work with you and you get confidence that uh you can actually on your own develop young scientists uh, as a supervisor that's also an important uh, point to reach i think and of course, I think another another important one is you slowly start feeling like you are an expert in certain areas. And I think it's also a very good sign mm -hmm. that you are ready. No, those are some interesting points. Yeah, something for us to, I guess, think about mm -hmm. and like the listeners to think about over time. It's but, definitely okay. a gradual <laughs> process, I would say. Mm -hmm. uh, moving on, sure, you want to start your own group and being confident enough to do that is one aspect but then it's also about trying to decipher oh what exactly do i want to study with my new group what is the topic that i want to address so what are the factors that played a role in this because i suppose it has to be something that you have done before but also niche enough that you can make your own ha mm. have your own expertise in there yeah so yeah when somebody sets up their lab it's usually uh, they based uh, base it on the projects of their postdoctoral work as a foundation in terms of uh, knowledge and expertise. And they, of course, then build up on it by asking more ambitious questions. And yeah, as you pointed out, um, as, a, as a postdoc who wants to become a group leader, we get asked this question all the time. What is going to be your unique research niche? You know, I, I've heard this question so many times when I was uh, undergoing this transition. Uh, in other ways, you're really expected to take your knowledge and experience and come up with ideas that, first of all, of course, you are passionate about, but then, but then also that uh, will address an important gap in the field that are different from what your supervisor is doing. And so also quite importantly, that to accomplish uh, which you actually have the expertise to be competitive uh, in the field. So all in all, it's actually a very difficult task to for all this, um, to, to tick all these boxes, you know, and I'm, I just um, have to hope that uh, the project that I chose uh, are gonna lead to success eventually. But I also suppose it's not something stagnant and you need to be open to maybe try different approaches from there as probably something develops because you don't know you never know probably if it's going to work or not oh yeah yeah that that's of course uh, happens all the time so it's more of a direction that you choose right and then within that direction again it's a combination of biology and methodology most of the time you want mm -hmm. to combine two of your niches or two of your expertises you know and then uh, from that point you just go with the science you get an interesting result and you follow it Okay, that makes perfect sense. So now I suppose, obviously, from being a postdoc PhD student to now having your own group, life has changed and a lot of different tasks have come. 
So what was the most surprising and challenging change in your daily work now compared to say your postdoc or maybe even your PhD times? Mm. Yeah, I think, yeah, of course there are challenges. I, I would not lie. I think one challenge I face like right now is balancing working in the lab and other responsibilities. Uh, I really love conducting experiments and I hope to continue working myself in the lab. But I also realized that I may not be as productive as I was during my postdoc. And of course, this is a natural natural progression. Uh, another challenging thing I found so far is, is hiring your team, uh, because I keep hearing how important it is to hire the right people from the very start, because you only have a handful of posts. So I am taking this very seriously and selecting among candidates is, is very difficult for me mentally as I keep going on in my mind about that that for days. You know, so th this is tough and I just really hope that uh, it will get easier as I become more experienced mm -hmm. uh, on that. I suppose also being in such a prominent institution and doing such interesting work, you sometimes are also spoiled for choice that there are such different people with such good backgrounds. You don't know who's... I was saying it's also about defeat, right? You want to find somebody with whom mm -hmm. you can really form a team. And you then Absolutely. also have to think about how they will work with each other as well. So it's it's a lot of things on top mm -hmm. of their qualifications that you need to consider. And I think that's what I find challenging. Mm -hmm. So then I guess it's a perfect segue to what qualities do you look for in students then if if when they're applying for a PhD? Maybe even also master students who are applying for mm -hmm. rotation projects. Yes, so, so I think it's really just two main things that I look for immediately. Uh, first of all, it's this drive, the passion to work in science, to solve interesting problems, because without that passion, uh, it's motivating a person to be productive is very difficult. So this is, I think, the key, key thing for me uh, and probably for everybody. And the second thing is is really like openness. You know, I, I like during the interview to see how sincere the person is to really establish a connection with them. To me, this is quite important because um, it helps to establish relationship based on trust. And I think this is very key. So overall, I would really favor these two qualities over specific experience or knowledge as you can teach the students, but if they don't have the drive, mm -hmm. then there's yeah. nothing you can do. No, I, that makes perfect sense. So then what was the best advice that you have received during your studies and probably now the career that you would like to pass on to our listeners? Obviously, things that you look for in candidates is something for everybody to keep mm -hmm. in mind, but something more specific that you have received and you would want to pass on? Uh, yeah, so I, I think I often get this question from younger scientists, uh, how do you manage uh, everything in your life and uh, stay productive? And this is, of course, a very uh, difficult question. Uh, in a way, um, that's all the life is, right? Time management. And um, mm -hmm. a couple of years yep. ago, I came across a very interesting book uh, by uh, Oliver Berkman, uh, which is called uh, 4,000 Weeks, uh, The Time Management for Mortals. And despite the name, this is not really a time management book. And uh, it's a book that uh, teaches you uh, a very important point that uh, we we shouldn't really live our life preparing for a certain moment in the future, like when I finally get a grant or when I get the scholarship or when I graduate, then my life will start actually, right? So we shouldn't really do that. It's more about um, 
you know, the life is this particular moment we are in right now. And right here, right now, it is important what we choose to do. And I think realizing this simple fact uh, will bring a lot of meaning to one's life and will really help to prioritize um, your tasks. And another thing uh, that I actually recalled from this book uh, was that somebody one, uh, once asked Warren Buffett for advice on how to prioritize goals in life. And he mm -hmm. actually gave the following advice. So make a list of 25 most important aims that you want to achieve in life and then rank them in order of importance. And then take the mm -hmm. first five goals and those are the ones you should focus your time and energy on. But then the catch was for the other 20 goals, the advice wasn't maybe try and work on them when you have spare time, but instead you should avoid them like the plague. And it is those mm -hmm. sort of um, moderately attractive aims that get you distracted on the path mm -hmm. to the true success, to to what you are truly passionate about. And I think it mm -hmm. is very important to realize that and it will help you to focus and prioritize your goals a little bit. So I think oh, uh, in a way for me, mm -hmm. uh, this, I, I really wished i read this book earlier unfortunately it only mm -hmm. came out in 2021 but i would say that mm -hmm. uh, it really helped me to actually be more productive and efficient yes mm -hmm. well that's really good advice in fact i'll probably link the book for the show notes and i think our listeners should probably take a look i you know i'm going to take a look after this interview for sure yeah <laughs> now you spoke about time management and all of that but how do you then take your mind off science and take a break to refresh us? Time management there is super crucial because sometimes you can just be stuck in the rut of doing experiments all the time without really taking a break to maybe just doing something else and thinking about things rather than just, you know, being in the lab, just do, being at it, doing experiments after experiments. Yeah. So I think I'm probably not a good person to give advice on that. I, okay, okay, <laughs> I, okay. I consider myself very lucky because, um, I think even if I didn't have to make money for a living, mm -hmm. I would still be doing exactly the same thing I'm doing right now. Uh, so I, I'm kind of a workaholic in that okay. sense. But um, yeah, and I don't really have much hobbies, but I enjoy spending time with my children. I mm -hmm. enjoy taking a walk for relaxation. And in that sense, I actually really enjoy living in London because mm -hmm. despite its big size, there are really plenty of green and peaceful areas to mm -hmm. escape and recharge here. So that's something I really like. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like, I guess th th that's one big advantage of being in a city. You, you never have, you never run out of things to do. There's always something to do to take your mind off or to take a break, even if it's not something major. But yeah. So yes. On that note, I will come to my final question. Uh, so I assume you may be taking some students for rotations or PhDs in the coming months or years. So can interested students reach out to you when the application sort of open or even otherwise for rotations, I guess an email is enough? Yeah, yeah you can always uh, reach out to me. Um, even if there is no like, open position advertised, we always welcome motivated and curious people. And uh, we can always investigate options together for funding or for placement. Yeah, so, no, yeah don't hesitate that, to reach out. That's very good to know because I definitely know of enough people, at least back in Harrisburg, <laughs> from a small group of our listeners who might be fascinated if, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. all goes well. But anyways, that was our last question. And I hope you had as much fun as we did. And um, thank you so much for joining.
Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it and I hope for the students will find it useful. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome.